Before we start this episode, just a heads up that we discuss eating disorders and body image issues. If you or someone you know needs support, contact the Butterfly Foundation on 1-800-33-4673 or butterfly.org.au. Like it was this, like this kind of realization and this, then this self-discovery of what is my self-worth and who am I as a person and what do I really believe in? And I found yoga and I started meditating and I started really diving deep into who I actually was as a person, how I valued myself, why did I value myself and what was my self-value worth? And when I started to answer those questions and and get in tune with my body and start to listen to it on a day-to-day basis, my whole attitude towards life, towards food, towards movement completely changed. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share honest and inspiring conversations so you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebulagen. Rachel Finch has something personal she'd like to share. If you're one of her 298,000 followers on Instagram, you'll know it's been more than a year since the Kissed Earth co-founder and model had her explant surgery a procedure to remove breast implants. But what Rachel hasn't spoken openly about in depth before is that removing her implants was a final piece in healing her relationship with her body. In this chat, Rachel reflects on the rollercoaster journey of her body image issues, which began when she was 15 and led to disordered eating where she was over-exercising and under-eating. She explains how she's internalized new beliefs about herself and learnt how to nourish rather than deprive or punish her body. This is why the mum of two is sharing her story now. She wants to help reduce the stigma of eating disorders and encourage others to seek help. Um, so you recently celebrated a very important one-year milestone, and that was one year since your explant surgery, which is when you had your breast implants removed. One thing many people aren't aware of, though, is that the explant surgery was the final piece of your transformation and in healing your relationship with your body. Mm. So I wanted to know what was your relationship with your body like when you were younger? Well, it's interesting. I've gone through a very, I guess, a roller coaster esque journey. And it's been, so when I was younger, I grew up outdoors playing sport. I did little athletics competitively for quite quite a while. I played touch football. And then when I was 15, I entered a modeling competition. I was lucky enough to win. And my whole kind of life went in this different direction. I thought I was like, I wanted to compete at the Olympics for long jump and 200 meters. And I was, honestly, I felt like that was, that was my path. When I entered this modeling competition and started doing more modeling work and photo shoots and left Australia and traveled the world on my own as a teenager, my whole life went in a different direction. I almost went on this journey of really caring and over-caring about my appearance and the physical side of what I looked like, my weight and looking my looking at myself back in the mirror or in a photo and you know that 15 to 18 or 15 to 19 is a very influential time in anyone's life where they are affected they're easily affected by what's going on around them both mentally and physically 
So I was in a space where I was traveling around the world. I was living in Singapore, New Zealand, New York, Germany, Hong Kong, all these different places, working as a model, living in model apartments on my own, weaving this world independently, and then slowly starting to to develop all of these internal thoughts and processes on what I thought I needed to look like in order to book a job. So I went through a very unhealthy stage where I was over-exercising, under-eating. I was internalizing that I was way too heavy and and way too big and I needed to lose five kilos. I had someone tell me once, if you lost five kilos, you would be perfect for runway. So I just took that. I remember for months and months, I was just like, just got to lose this five kilos. And I was already maybe 57 kilograms, 58 at the time. And so losing five kilograms off that already lean frame was very, would have been very, very lean and very thin. So I got to a point where I was about 52 kilograms and I was so light and I was eating so little. I remember eating the same meal for months on end. Um, It was a tuna salad with balsamic vinegar, no avocado, no fats or anything. It was just literally can of tuna, lettuce, vegetables, and balsamic vinegar because it had no fat, no carbohydrates. I saw this. I saw other people consuming it, and I, I just thought that would be the best option and that would help me lose those five kilograms. Nobody knew that I was doing this. This was just this internal thing that was happening inside of me that I just thought, I needed to do in order to get to that size, in order to book the job, in order to get the pay, in order to be successful and in order to uh, to avoid rejection. So all of this sort of vicious cycle was going round and around. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a, a good place to be. I was going to bed at seven o'clock at night and waking up at 7am in the morning, you know, 12 hours of sleep and I was still waking tired. I lost my menstrual cycle for over two years. So something so natural for the body was just not happening for so long. And I look back now and I think, well, of course it wasn't happening. My body wasn't functioning the way it needed to. It wasn't being given what it needed to be given in order to just do the normal day-to-day jobs that it should have been doing. So yeah, it was a really challenging time. But I, at the time, I was just in this headspace of, no, I've got to restrict, I've got to deprive, I've got to just... No, I can't go out into any social setting. It's almost like I had social anxiety. I didn't want to go out to a restaurant with friends. I didn't want to meet anyone at cafes. I didn't want to step outside my 7 o'clock bedtime because I was afraid I might eat something out of my routine or um, I might have a drink or I might, you know what I mean, like I'll stay up late and that will ruin my routine and I'll put on weight. Like there was this very unhealthy uh, lifestyle and mindset of, of what I thought I needed to look like. And in turn, it was affecting my entire life. And so I think I got to a point where I just woke up and I was just, just dead tired. And I, I just got tired of being tired, you know, how long did that go for? Do you remember that point? Like, Oh, oh you know what? On and off, on and off for like two, three, four years. So I would go through phases where I'd get really strict. And then I would kind of I would come out of it and maybe put on a couple of kilos and I thought I was just so overweight. So I would go back into it. You know, it would be on and off, very sporadic. And were you weighing yourself every day as well? Uh, No, I don't think I was weighing myself every day. But remember, I was modeling. So I was in and out of clothes all the time. I was on and off runways. I was in swimwear every day. I was constantly on photo, uh, on, on set 
the judge would be, do I fit the clothes or do I fit what the stylist has given me that day or does my arm look big in this image that they've shot or why is everyone looking at that image funny and then looking at me? And these are all internal thoughts, not necessarily things that they've said out loud. Correct. Every thought was consumed with that. You think about what what you invest your thoughts into now. Every thought that I had back then when I was a teenager was all to do with food, weight, and what I was consuming. And that leads to so many different things like insecurities. And it was evident in what I was doing day to day. It probably wouldn't have been that evident from the outside looking in. So um, yeah, so I I needed to make a change. And I, I just, like I said, I woke up just tired of being tired. And that's when kind of my whole life started to to slowly go in the opposite direction. Mm, because as you said, like if your thoughts are ingrained in this 24-7 over the many, many years, it's not necessarily something that you can just snap out of when you realize you're tired of being tired. Exactly. It, it's kind of similar to it takes nine months to grow a baby. It should take nine months, sometimes longer to get back to normal. Like people try and get back into shape so quickly and, you know, sometimes it might be unrealistic, but there's a slow process in and there's a slow process out. And it's this patience game with understanding that not everything happens overnight. It will get there, but just it's day to day, it's consistency and it's being kind to yourself and taking it slowly. So I think the thing, the key moment for me was, was actually, in fact, when I, around when I met Misha and he really opened my eyes to I don't love you because of the way you look. I love the way you look, but it's not the reason why I love you. I love you because of who you are as a person. That's what he loved, you know, and that's what he always, he still tells me to this day. Like it was this, like this kind of realization and this, then this self-discovery of what is my self-worth and who am I as a person and what do I really believe in? And I found yoga and I started meditating and I started really diving deep into who I actually was as a person, how I valued myself, why did I value myself, and what was my self-value worth? And when I started to answer those questions and and get in tune with my body and start to listen to it on a day-to-day basis, my whole attitude towards life, towards food, towards movement completely changed. Like That's why I never like saying on my Instagram, oh, daily exercise. I always say daily movement. Because I just don't feel like it should be this hardcore, you know, smashing yourself, you know, harsh, strict daily practice. Like you should do what makes you happy. You should follow the rhythm of your body, follow the rhythm of the seasons and be in tune with that, work with that and choose on a day-to-day basis what works for you. And that's going to be so different to the person next to you. And it's a long journey to really discover what works best for your body. It takes so much experimentation. It takes so many days, weeks, and and months to to really uncover what works best for you. Um, And then to set those boundaries for you and the people around you and, and help people understand that this is actually what you want to be doing now and then actually to go ahead and do it. Now, can you give examples of things that you did try that weren't exactly for you? To be honest, I'm still experimenting every single day. But the biggest thing for me was cutting out food groups. 
I cut out carbohydrates and I cut out fats and I had this very limiting diet. For me personally, that just did not work because there was this, there is this element of deprivation and restriction and anxiety that comes straight away when I am deprived and I feel like I cannot have something. I feel like my body is just not given enough balance and equal parts of all those beautiful macronutrients and they almost have a flow-on effect energetically in my body. I just web and weave based on how I feel and it's not driven by any rules or regulations. Well, that's a great example because I was going to ask you, how do you make sure that focus on healthy eating doesn't become an obsession and then turn into another like eating disorder such as orthorexia? Mm. I think the most important thing for me is figuring out how to stay in tune with your body on a daily basis. Meditation is massive for me. It's not for everyone, but for me, that helps me get in tune with my body and really discover what I need in order to make the right decisions and not go back down those paths. What are some good resources that helped you learn these um, things that we're talking about at the moment? The biggest thing for me at the start was when I studied health coaching through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, IIN, um, in New York. It was phenomenal for me because it introduced me to a lot of different speakers a lot of different health professionals. I randomly search different podcasts. I randomly, uh, I get, you know, I might get uh, given a book and I'll spend a couple of months reading that and kind of going back over the pages and uh, reading that. There's heaps of different books like Lean In or The Power of Now or the Eckhart Tolle books are awesome or just random podcasts. Like I love Tim Ferriss, for example. He dives deep into his guests and really asks them, awesome questions about life in general and their thought process behind things. Um, It's not like, you know, I have a specific uh, go-to podcast or a book that I like to read. It's just bits of information that I, that I come across every, every day and that I try to get the most out of and, and navigate through. And what about expert support? Did you draw on any of that while you were learning to, transform your relationship with your body? Yeah. So obviously the experts that we were working with on our program and I reached out to my acupuncturist, Mitch Patience. Um, He's Sydney based here and started working with him. Jessica Cox is another one that's uh, based in Queensland. She's, she actually then went on to become our, nat- our nutritionist on uh, our fitness program. Um, and what I've loved is just taking what I need from that, in, that person or that expert and, and applying it to my own life. So it's not, I, you know, I don't believe that every single thing everyone says to me from an expert perspective has worked for me, but I've definitely found that there's been key aspects of information and little golden nuggets that I've taken and then gone, that is amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to use that. Gary Goro is another one. He was my meditation coach. He taught me Vedic meditation and it's a mantra based meditation where you sit for 20 minutes, uh, morning and afternoon and say a mantra and repeat it in your head softer and softer and softer and softer and softer until it just disappears. And then you're just in this space of like bliss, blissful meditation. Even my yoga teachers, you know, like learning from them and just hearing little nuggets of wisdom in 
in the in the class, like during um, Shavasana, right at the very end, they would say something and it would just resonate with you and you'd just be like, boom, oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear at that point in time. Can you think of an example? Oh, there's been many. There's been There's been things like being okay with exactly where you are at this moment because it's exactly where you need to be on on the path. It could have been just having the ability to surrender. Just little things like that where they've they've stick stuck with me and and I've just when I get sometimes in those frustrated moments I remember those those particular moments that have helped me along the way and I remind myself surrender, let go it's okay. You're, you are where you're meant to be. Like it's all part of the journey. If you could go back to 17 year old Rachel <laughs> and give her any piece of advice, knowing what you know now, what would it be? It would be to wake up, enjoy life, understand that you are so beautiful and gifted and loving and caring. You've got this incredible life in front of you. Um, and so many wonderful, amazing, healthy opportunities and just to enjoy it without the fear of feeling like you're not enough or you're, Mm. you know, you're going to be rejected because someone doesn't like the way you look or um, someone won't be your friend because they think, you know, you might be too fat or something. Um, It would be, it would be, yeah, just to be kinder to yourself and, and show yourself more love and show yourself more compassion and respect and um, practice that daily. So it really sounds like all this came up when you went into modeling. You'd never had this, felt this kind of pressure before when you were being an athlete? No, I didn't. Um, remember when I was doing sport, I was, I was in a sort of a, a team environment a lot of the time. I was training with people. I had coaches around me. I had my parents with me, you know, so it was very much like driven by a lot of supportive people around me. When I started modeling, mum had to keep working. Dad had to keep working. I wasn't at home. I I went on my own and, and just started navigating around the world on my own. I remember standing in Germany in random streets with a with a navigation uh, book, you know, how we just didn't have iPhones yeah. and all that. I was just like looking at random streets in different language going, how do you, oh, gee, I'm going to, okay, I maybe just have to go straight here and then I'll figure it out when I get around the corner. It just is, it was what it was. I just, I had to navigate at an early age um, independently. And grow up quite quickly too. And yeah, and just grow up quite quickly. And I think I was just really easily influenced mm. by what I saw around me. And as I said, it's only been the last sort of 10 years where we've seen this influx of normality on catwalks, normal body shapes in magazines, etc. And so back then, you know, 15, 16 years ago, I felt like I really needed to be this stick thin, super light, which isn't my body shape. I'm naturally, I have, I'm very muscular from all of my sport, you know. So for me, my body loves that and thrives in a specific weight. And so um, I was kind of going against that grain for a long period of time. And then because you're only 17 when you got your breast implants done. Correct. Yes. That seems very young to get to get that kind of surgery. I guess at the time because of modeling, what were you hoping that having the bigger breasts would give you? So I was hoping that I would book those jobs, mm. that I would be, you know, that, that perfect body image, whatever that was. But I, I, that's what I was hoping for. And I was very much about the aesthetic. And that was this internal 
uh, pressure that I put on myself that I needed to look like a certain way in order to book those jobs or in order to fulfill that missing element, whatever that was. You know, I naturally have very small breasts and I'm like literally, I've just, that is just my body shape. I got to a point where I thought I needed to have the breast implants in order to balance out my body and be that ideal curvy, you know, womanly, have that womanly curve about my body in order to fit all of the dresses that I was modeling or fit the swimwear and look good and and have that perception of that perfect image. Yeah. And that perfect image back then was quite skinny with boobs. Correct. And so that's what, that's what I thought I needed. And um, so that's the path I went down. Do you think if you were growing up in the um, modeling industry now, would you feel like you'd still need to get implants? To be honest, I don't know. I don't know if I was still that age. I don't know where my thought process would be. If obviously knowing what I know now, my decisions would be a lot different. So it's always, you know, fine for everyone to say, oh, in hindsight, I would have done this. But who knows what we would have done in, you know, that particular moment without the information that we know now. Oh, I mean, also like just with the way the industry is now, because we were talking about how there's more body shapes and sizes. Oh, um. There's a lot more um, acceptance towards different body shapes and sizes. 100%, you're right. So maybe not. Maybe maybe I would have thought this is perfect because I'm, I'm perfect for these specific jobs, you know what I mean? Um, and maybe I wouldn't have felt that pressure to have a certain weight and a certain shape. So I maybe would have internalised it a bit differently because of the way things are portrayed now and there's much more acceptance on different body shapes and genders and nationalities, et cetera. Like it's amazing now. Um, so maybe, but it's, it's really hard to tell because I was in such a tunnel mindset um, and I was really strict in my ways. So going back to your explant surgery, like one of the main reasons you had it done was because one of your implants had ruptured. Mm. And excuse my language, but the really shit thing is, <laughs> is you realize there was something wrong two years prior to getting the correct diagnosis. But the doctor at the time told you nothing was wrong. Can you tell us what happened? I felt pain. I think it was in my left breast. And, you know, I'd go to bed, it would be throbbing. I would couple of days would go by no pain the, the throbbing would come back and I'd just be like there's something up so I went to see the doctor I had a scan and they're like nah all good oh so but I've got pain no yeah but everything's all fine the the scans are showing that everything's all good um nothing to worry about so I just left the appointment and I left that situation with it's all good six months later pain come like the pain continued and got worse so I went and got an MRI and another scan and said, no, I just need to keep asking. They also told me that that was fine. What happens sometimes is the implant may have just um, folded under the skin and kind of created a little like bubble because of what I felt is that one was a lot harder than the other, which to me mm. indicated that it had kind of like expanded or something had happened in there. There was something going on. So nothing was then taken from that it was like it's still fine I was like but so do I need to do anything about that or should I just leave it it's up to you was the answer and so I just said okay left that again 
three, four, five, six months later, I'm like, something's up. Mm. (laughs) And that's when I started to really question, like, I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I want to have my breast implants removed. I don't need them. I don't feel like they define me as a person. I don't feel like, you know, having breast implants is something that long-term isn't right for me and my body. And it's just purely a personal decision, you know, and I just, there was something in me that just did not agree with um, having them in my body. So then I started researching and reaching out to different surgeons uh, that do explant surgery and asking about the process and what's involved. And the doctor, Dr. Moroshnik in uh, Sydney here that I actually ended up going to after seeing seven different surgeons asked to straight away the first thing he said was can I see your uh, scans he was the first doctor to actually ask that anyway and so when he looked at them he was he called me back because we had the initial meeting and I felt quite good about going with him and then after the initial meeting he called me straight away and he's like I've just looked at your scans properly do you know that you've got a capsular contracture and I said no, what is that? And he's like, that is where the implant is actually erupt um, from the inside. And it could be, we don't know what's actually happening. It depends on how long it's been ruptured for. Sometimes that can be years. Sometimes it can be just recently. And I was like, oh, okay, no. <laughs> I was told it was all fine. Yeah. And, and then um, he's like, nope. And those MRIs were taken at that initial appointment. So that was what two years before that uh so I was in shock and he's like I you know we'd probably want to get this out ASAP if you're looking to have this um this operation because we don't actually know how long that rupture's been well we know it's two years at least but we don't know how many years before Mm. that it had been ruptured at that point were you pissed off um, or were you just more relieved that someone finally was listening to you? I was, I was, I was both. I was upset at the lack of information that was given, but I was grateful that, you know, someone with the experience and with the expertise, because remember, I just went to a normal doctor. I didn't go to someone with experience in that field. So in a way, you know, I can't, I can't, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not, Every doctor and people in the medical prof- in the medical field uh, do a freaking amazing job. I just put it down to uh, whether it just be a lack of knowledge and understanding of of you know breast augmentation and implants and and the knowledge around that, and just misunderstanding of what I needed for for my body at that particular time, and that's totally fine. I continued to do the research and that was what mattered. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So the the whole message behind it was no matter what information you're given, if you are unsure or unhappy with the answer, keep searching for you. I'm, I'm happy that it was all resolved. What was the process like? It was full on. I remember the night before surgery, I was so scared because like, I I hadn't had surgery. I was very scared, you know, like what happens if something goes wrong or there was a lot of different thoughts that run through your mind. Um, But, yeah, he did a fabulous job and was very supportive throughout the whole way and Misha was there from the moment I went to sleep to the moment I wake up. And yeah, it was, it was a very positive experience. There was, it was slow recovery. I came home and 
Uh, Misha tied my hair and did up the buttons on my jeans for the next two weeks. You know, I had to, I couldn't really do much. I couldn't lift above my head for like six to eight weeks or even longer lifting above your head. Um, so making the kids lunches was a really slow process in the morning. Um, I couldn't pick them up and, you know, carry them or hug them like I usually do. So that was difficult. There was a lot of things that you have to factor in. And going back to what we were saying, when you're healthy and when everything is 100% effective and working the way it should, you just, oh, you value that so much. Like health is the greatest wealth. And when, you know, overcoming any uh, operation or any hardship, it's a slow moving beast and it feels like you're in this space forever. But um, once I finally got past it, probably 12 weeks until I was really out of the clear and I could lift again above my head and get back to normal movement and et cetera, um, that's when I started to really feel good again. Did it take you a while to get used to how your body looked? Yes and no. It's, it's weird. Everyone asked me that. Yes, it was very different. I was like, wow, that's different. But it instantly felt normal. I instantly felt like, huh. oh, that's, that's me. Like <laughs> that's, the way my body sh- that's the way my body is. Like isn't that interesting? And, oh, I just felt it felt really liberating just to be in my own skin mm. um, and just kind of have that self-acceptance of, who I was without the breast implants and that self-worth of just coming into my own body again. It was really a beautiful time. And yeah, there were definitely challenging moments. There still is now when like, you know, you don't fit everything the way you used to fit it. Um, All of my bras were like 10 C. Now I barely fit an A. So it's like, I've got really tiny boobies, you know, but that's just my natural body frame. And I'm so grateful that I was able to breastfeed my kids. I was so grateful that, Uh, I was able to pass that phase in my life and not have anything more serious happen. You know, I feel so lucky for that. So the doctor didn't find that there was any leaks or anything? No. So he he did, obviously the ruptured breast implant had uh, leakage around it. So what he did was as he extracted it, he vacuumed everything up as, as he pulled everything out. But it wasn't, it was contained within the capsule. So... That was a good sign, um, which meant that uh, nothing had leaked further. You mentioned earlier that you were ready to have them out and because your breasts didn't define you. Was there a point when you felt like they did define you? Well, I hadn't known anything else. Like I got them at such a young age and I grew through my womanhood years with them. So it was almost like they shaped who I was and who I became in a way. Do you know what I mean? So I kind of didn't know anything else Um, and that's just naturally what I thought was normal. And to be honest, you kind of forget about them. You're kind of like, oh, that's just, you know, you don't wake up every day and go, "Um, I've got breast implants. If you've had them for five years, you just, you just, they become normal, (laughs) you know, so that you just treat them, treat it as your normal self. And as I said, it wasn't until, so many years after that I started to feel pain that brought my attention back to, you know, what was inside my body and potentially what I needed to do. Was it quite easy to get the implants done back then? Because I know now that I think maybe it was only introduced in 2016 where doctors were advised not to do any kind of cosmetic surgery on people under the age of 18. 
Like I just wondered about your experience. Yeah, so obviously our doctor was, everyone's different, right? So everyone's body shape is different. Everyone develops differently. So he was very thorough about checking my body shape and making sure that I had done as much growing as I needed to from um, a physical perspective. Um, And so the advice was that I didn't have much breast tissue anyway. So I, I was fine to have them. Um, so you are very clued up in the wellness space. I was wondering, is has there been any cool things that you've come across lately that ha- that you've integrated into your routine? For example, I noticed I noticed you mentioned infrared saunas earlier. Is this something that's um, part of your day to day, or is there something else that's pretty cool that maybe our listeners haven't caught it on to yet? So my non-negotiables are daily meditation. Obviously, I have a big drink of water at the start of the day. I have my collagen coffee. So collagen for us is, for me, is non-negotiable. A couple of scoops of that every day from a hair, skin, nails, but more so joints, tendons, ligaments, the gut, that's uh, perspective. I take a, a daily mix of vitamins. So I take uh, I take iron, I take magnesium, I take uh, zinc and depending on um, what blend I need to take, I'll, I'll take medicinal mushrooms, whether it's for immunity or whether I feel like I need to support my hormones or um, if it's uh, more gut related, I'll just pick and choose depending on how my body feels. Obviously, uh, regular movement. Uh, I do a sauna, infrared sauna, which lives on my balcony probably once a week. Oh, lovely. Um, I've got a little veg pod growing on my garden. So I grow my own, not many fruit and veg, but I grow like some green beans. We've got kale growing, lots of herbs. There's a couple of things in there that I keep growing. I did try cryotherapy for a while there. And I love that if, if I feel like I'm midway through my cycle and my body is strong enough for it or at the start of my cycle. Yeah, so it's totally dependent on how I feel. I get acupuncture from time to time. If I feel like I need a bit of a tune-up, I go to Mitch and, and get acupuncture or I'll get a massage. And I just I pick and choose depending on what I need at that particular moment. How has everything you learned impacted the way you run your business and parent? Oh, dramatically. Honestly, like every single lesson I've learned along the way has shaped me not only as a person and as a friend and as a mother and as a wife, but it has spilled off into the way I go about all of those relationships. So as a mother, I'm very communicative. Um, I communicate a lot with my kids and I talk to them a lot about everything. Even as soon as they ask a question, I'll go in and sit them down and really have a good um, chat about everything, whatever it is they're asking about. Uh, As a wife, you know, like just constantly being with each other and communicating and talking about how we feel and what makes us upset or what makes us happy, like is super important, I think, for a marriage to to see it through and to keep going on, on these roller coaster rides. And you've got to wave that ride the ups and the downs. Um, And I just think all of these lessons have really shaped um, who I am as a person. And I've loved, I've loved all of that because it's really sets you up for a really strong and positive mindset. And like, I feel like I'm so grateful for being able to come out happy and healthy rather than going down a different direction. So I think it's really important. That's why 
I think it's really important to share the message. You know, I could have, I could just keep it internal and keep it to myself and just be happy that I've overcome it. But if one person can hear this or read this message and think, I'm currently going through that same situation or I am obsessed with food or I do think myself I do think myself is not worthy or I, I fear social settings because I'm gonna overeat or undereat or people won't like me or I'm too thin or I'm too fat. If they can read that and find self-worth and find that path of getting themselves back to that beautiful balanced state of they are enough and to show themselves respect and compassion then that's my job done. It's not to scream and shout from the rooftops that I'm in this place now and everything's so amazing. It's to go back to spreading that message of health and vitality and being kind to yourself and living your truest, best life. Oh, that's such a beautiful way to end the conversation. Aww. Thank you so much, Rachel. <laughs> I really appreciate the chat. My, my pleasure, beautiful. Thank you for having me again. If you or someone you know needs support for an eating disorder or body image issues, contact the Butterfly Foundation on 1-800-334673 or butterfly.org.au. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Lisa Gabby-Luggan, with additional sound editing by Abby Williams. For more from us, pick up a copy of the magazine with Rachel Finch on the cover, which you can get on newsstands and Apple News Plus and Zinio, or find us on Instagram at Women's Health AUS and visit womenshealth.com.au.